Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome everybody to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York, where it is currently snowing. Um, so for those of you who are living in the rest of the country or someplace in the world where it's not, you're smarter than I am right now. Thank you. <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking about um, succession planning in the, in the family business. And we're really blessed. We have uh, Rob Ferguson and Allison Comstock Moss with us here today, and both of which, you know, I know um, really have great deep knowledge in this arena. Um, Allison, like myself, has gone through a succession within her family, and uh, so we've got lots of great, you know, conversations that we're going to have and some questions that uh, we'll answer today. So, welcome, Allison and Rob. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for coming. So as we always do, we like to uh, kick off the show with, you know, this, this topic of family business and, and actually getting into, you know, working with family businesses is, uh, it's unique. There's not, it's not everybody, you know, nobody goes to school, or at least they didn't 10 years ago, I guess they do now, but they you didn't go to school 10 years ago to become a family business, you know, um, consultant or coach and, and and we do today so Allison why don't you kick us off and tell us about your journey how did you get to where that you is at? so yeah that's such a great point because people will ask me about my background and when I was in college over 20 years ago there was no program to learn what I've been doing for now 20 years so I'm thrilled that there are now better programs available for those who do want to concentrate on this for me, it was very much um, a combination of an apprenticeship by tagging along with meetings with my father for family businesses and also just discovering a personal passion um, for areas that are affected by family businesses that I felt um, a deep desire to help improve upon for all those involved. So I started my first presentation with my father was when I was 15 years old and it was it was about family philanthropy. And what are the benefits of including your entire family on a charitable journey? And using that as a platform for then bigger decisions down the road. So that, what I didn't know back then was what started a journey for he and I in our shared love of helping people thrive with the experience they're having with their wealth, whether it be liquid assets or in a business. And um, my niche, if you will, is on spending time with the next generation and providing them 
a level of education and a listening ear that I was discovering hadn't been offered very often and really wanted to provide them a platform because their parents had been working on this for years and years. And then it was just kind of thrown at them <laughs> and it's a great gift, but there really needs to be more lead time for them to be successful with most of that. And so I, um, embarked on creating empowering beneficiaries as a sister company to Comstock with the purpose of focusing on that. And as a result, developed what we call beneficiary bootcamp. Again, just it's about focusing on providing information and empowering that next gen to succeed instead of, well, figure it out. <laughs> Trial by fire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you and I have a very similar uh, background, but I did not start when I was 15. Um, and, uh, <laughs> So good for you. That was great. Thank you for joining us. Rob, fill us in. Give us, give us the background. What do we need to know about you? Where did you come from? How well, did you when I was in college 40 years ago. <laughs> um, so there was no such thing as uh, any kind of uh, family advisory, family offices. Um, I did have the experience of family business through my two grandfathers. Um, one was a banker. He started out literally as the, uh, the custodian for the bank and ended up buying the bank and owning it and running it as a president for 50 years. And my other grandfather was a, um, a florist in Bloomington, Indiana, and uh, was very successful. And so I got to, uh, I never knew I was really being indoctrinated to family business when I was sitting around the table listening to my two grandfathers talk about their, their comings and goings in their life. And um, after my college, I went into the military and then went to corporate America. Eventually uh, became a CEO of a private company that went public, took that company public, really enjoyed that. And, and, and that's where I really honed my, um, my business acumen and perhaps even my financial skills. Um, and then when I went to go conquer something different, I was still very young at the time and um, uh, took on a project for a fifth generation run business. It was a hundred years old in the packaging business, 17 cousins involved. And I went in as the first non-family member CEO. And, um, and the business was uh, struggling it was definitely in the zone of insolvency. And my, my job was to go in and fix it and then uh, monetize it for the family shareholders, uh, which I did do. Um, concurrently, I was on a board of directors for another 100-year-old family. Um, I, I uh, helped them in their little private equity firm that they had inside their family office. And this family um, had uh, probably 50 uh, family shareholders, and it was wildly successful. And over two and a half, three years, I got to know both families. It truly was like the tale of two cities. Uh, my whole background was on leadership. It was on scaling businesses, uh, M&A work, and I didn't really appreciate um, the uniqueness of, of family businesses. And I learned uh, some best practices that help this one family business be wildly successful. And then I learned best practices that were being ignored 
or pitfalls that the other fifth generation had fallen into. And that is where my passion really developed to, um, to help other family businesses avoid those pitfalls. And I really believe my experience tells me that family or the businesses in general are, are, are living organisms and they can live forever. Um, unfortunately, when we human beings get involved in it, we can kill those things pretty quick. And that's why the succession uh, results are so, so bleak once you get past the third generation of any family business. And, and honestly, I'm also inspired to help as many folks as I can. Uh, family business, as we know, represents over 60% of the GDP. And uh, I figure if I can do my part in my little bitty corner of that, I can make a difference and help others grow and develop. So essentially that's uh, what I've been doing the last 11 years after I left corporate. I uh, formed this um, advisory and consulting business and uh, really enjoy it. And I've met some fantastic people along the way, such as Allison. Um, she has collaborated with me on other clients and um, uh, we both enjoy uh, working with one another as well as working with our clients. We have a a similar passion to uh, uh, serving and helping others. Great. Well, again, thank you both for joining us. R Rob, just based on a few things that you just said, you know, I want to uh, let her all, you know, let the audience know you talked about, you know, the business is a living organism, living organism. And I would highly recommend if you haven't read it yet, grab the book, The Infinite Game. That's the game, the book that we did at our last book club. And it really, it really lends itself to that thinking and helps people to, you know, think through that as, as they're making decisions running the business. Um, and then the other thing that you said is just that how unique the, the family business is, but when it, it gets even more unique when you have non- Family, or family members that are non-managers, not working in the business, but they're shareholders. And, and then you have the, the, the shareholder working in the business group. And, you, and they really, you know, it's very, it's, it's a juggling act between those two groups. The last show that we did, so for the listeners, last show that we did, that's what we focused on was, you know, making sure that you're bringing in the non, you know, the non-managing partners, you know, uh, shareholders into the conversation, you know, or, and if not, it's at your own peril. So, but today we're fo focusing on succession planning in the, in the family business. And, you know, Allison, why don't you kick us off? And the, you know, the, the first thing that, that we wanted to talk about is why is it, you know, and I, and Rob, I'm going to come over to you in a second, you know, so you, you get the, you get to sit back and you know, formulate your, your thoughts when Allison has to juggle this one, but why many family businesses why don't they have a succession plan right now? You know, we, we, we read in the paper that, you know, within the next five to seven years, there's just a, this giant group of, you know, a number of family businesses that are going to change hands, but only 30% of them have a written documented where they know what they're going to do succession plan. Why? Yeah. So they're hard. <laughs> I think it's the first one. It's not easy to do. It's not like you get out a checklist and go through it and fill in the blanks. You can't balance. It, you can't balance that out. You know, you just pull the checkbook out and balance that out. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And when you think about what made the business successful, and then going to identify 
How can it continue to be successful? Who are the players? Um, there's so many dynamics. And then when, as soon as you get it figured out, it's going to change. So it's a process with no real end in sight that can feel very daunting. And if someone is thick in growing a business, planning for succession can feel like it's detracting from the immediate benefits of and growing the business and the immediate financial benefits. So it's something that's, that can feel daunting. And we have some families where they're like, well, the next gen can figure it out. And so when you've got a current business owner who doesn't really feel any desire to do it, I see that less often. More often I see it, I don't know where to begin. And so the, the overwhelmingness can paralyze people. Right, it makes it easy to put things on the back burner, especially, but I do like what you said, you know, when when you're growing the business, I'm in there running it. That's where my juice, that's where my energy has come from all these years. And you want me to talk about giving up the ghost, you know, and not, and not, yeah. Rob, comments, thoughts? Sure. I, I agree with Allison. It's hard. That's probably the number one reason. I would add to it that it's also dynamic. Um, it's never done, so to speak. It's constantly changing and evolving. And uh, that's a hard concept for a lot of, whether you're a family business or not, just, just to implement succession planning at the board level or at the organizational level, it's, it's, um, it's difficult work. Um, and quite honestly, I don't think leaders, business leaders think about succession plan as strategy, but that's what it is. Yeah. It's nothing more than part of the human element, the leadership element of your business strategy. And if you subscribe to the fact that businesses are living organism, then you, ha you have to be compelled to make succession planning strategy top of your list as, as the leader. Um, the other reason just to build on maybe Michael, where you're going a little bit is um, leaders tend to um, have a propensity to put their identity in their role, okay? And so uh, a, a leader of a business, of a family business, he's, he's built that organization up. Maybe he was the first gen or second gen, but he's built that business up. He has a success model like Allison talked about. That doesn't mean that's gonna be the success model for the future. And that business leader might actually understand that. But the, the, the big objection I get to from the business leader is, but what am I going to do when I'm no longer here? I mean, who am I going to be? Yeah. And so there's this identity um, uh, conflict that's not true, but it's a, it becomes true because that leader keeps telling himself over and over and over, oh, I'm the founder of the, the Amco business. And so uh, if I'm no longer the founder CEO, then I'm nobody and I have no purpose or role. And so that's really uh, the primary objections that I um, deal with in succession. I want to I want to take a detour on what you just said there. I'm not a detour, but I just want to add to that. Um, it wasn't in our programming as we were, as we put this together. But think about what you just said. The owner's identity, oftentimes, not always, you know, it's a percentage of the time, is built around that business. 
And one of the things that that I have seen and that I've that I that is scary is right up at that moment. I'm two years from that transition. We've we're, we're making payments. The things are happening, and and without having the conversations about who am I going to be after this, decisions get made that they wouldn't have done five years ago the same way. And and so things like starting another company that there's no way that that company will ever be profitable. They would have never bought that company. They never would have done any of that work otherwise, but they're because they don't have that clear path to where I'm going, right? decision-making gets cloudy. So just a cautionary piece. It's not for, it's not everybody. We don't see it every single time, but I'm, I'm working with a case right now. That's the case. And it's, um, I can definitely see that that person is nervous and we tried to have these conversations and it was just a conversation that they didn't want to have. You you follow me? And now it's, it's, it's coming out. Yeah. Because let me just finish that up. That thought is, is because um, succession planning doesn't happen because of fear, right? Because I'm afraid. And not only is it hard, but I'm also fearful. I'm going to lose control. Um, whoever my successor is going to be uh, may not be the best qualified, may not be the most equipped, or I don't have anybody in my family. So there's, if they're not in my family, then they can't even exist in this world. So there's all of those um, internal conversations that happen with that uh, leader that aren't true, but for them, it becomes truth. And so as a trusted advisor, um, you have to build that rapport and relationship to be able to um, peel the onion back somewhat to get the succession planning uh, started and and open to. Right. Allison, when when, when we were talking, the three of us, you know, doing the show prep, one of the things that came out was that, that really important question that every family business has to ask themselves and they must answer. You mind sharing that, that question and why is that so important? So it's really important and it's what I learned from Rob. So Rob, tell us the question. Okay, sure. Um, so it, it's a two-part question, and I always ask it before I even begin the process is, do you want to be a family-first business or a business-first family? And um, it's interesting how the re- responses come. Some come within three seconds, two seconds, <laughs> and they, they happen to be value-centric, right? Um, Others look at me uh, like I have three ears. What in the world did you just ask me? (laughs) And what does that have to do with my problem that I have right now today? And then as I work them through the question, they become, they get them to be contemplative. um, It's it's a very uh, challenging exercise to get the family stakeholders involved in that business to uh, work together on consensually coming up to, well, who are we? And, and, and that becomes then, once that declaration is made, that becomes the strategic cornerstone, so to speak, that all other decisions going forward, the succession plan, operations, whatever, it all centers around that cornerstone. Great. 
Allison, would you mind just walk us through an example or you know some families, what they do that they're family focused versus those that are business focused? If you yeah. like kind of a tale of two businesses. <laughs> well, I just this morning was meeting with a family member of a family owned business. And we were talking about some things that had been funneled through the staff at the company that really was for their household financial needs. And we've been talking about setting up a family office that will address the personal items and, and really extracting that from the day-to-day -day CFO and uh, admin staff at the company. Why? Because they're a business first family and they need to really put some boundaries and barriers in as to what's going, because when one child goes to the CFO to get something or goes to the lawn service or goes to get gas at the pump, you know, you really have to put in some boundaries and say, no, this is, these are company assets, they're for company. We have people getting bonuses off of the revenues that these are making. You cannot cloud that for personal use. So there's one example so that like, it's a little thing, but it can be a big thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the flip of that, you know, is the, the I, I, I've heard it stated this way. Are you a lifestyle business or an equity business? Right. Yeah. Sure. And, yeah. And so when you, when you're looking at these you know, at the, at the businesses, it's easy to see that, you know, when I have a, a $1,200, you know, per month car lease on my navigator that I'm running through the business versus I'm just driving the Ford truck, like everybody else in the business, it's different. Um, yeah. And so when I, you get multiple beneficiaries and you had mentioned earlier about those who are active in the business and those who are not then you really can stir up some challenges on the relationship side because things really aren't being even and equal and up and the up and up on the financial side. And, and either one of you can answer this, but when, you know, when you're in the first or the second generation, you might be able to pull that off. And it might Absolutely. <laughs> because, because we all grew up in the same house or it's all the money is all of ours, me and my, you know, my wife and I, or, you know, my spouse and I, but when you get to that cousin generation, when you go to that third generation, that's one of the things that really starts to get messy. Well, mom and dad or mom and our uncle did it this way. Why can't we? And now how do you pick if you, especially if you got seven cousins, from different houses and different values, how do you decide who gets what special service run through the business, right? Well, and that's, that's why it gets really difficult when you start commingling personal business, but it happens, it happens all the time. And when you get to that cousin level, the third generation, um, it's really important that you go back to, are we a, a family first business or business first family? And if we're business first, we don't need to be equal in our transition of the business or the, the wealth uh, or even leadership roles. We just need to be equitable, right? And so you have to take that kind of mindset on to uh, help through um, the, the, the non-managing owners, maybe non-voting owners, and right? It's just, it's more about 
being being balanced, I think, in in succession planning. As one, one client I had, they the roles in their business, this was the hundred year old business that was failing. Um, they inherited their job positions. So because their grandfather was the vice president of sales and their father was the vice president of sales, that then enabled or entitled the, the fifth generation to be vice president of sales who wasn't qualified at all. And that's what that's where you, those are the issues that, as you mentioned, Michael, you get deeper into the generation uh, without proper guidance, without great uh, advice and models out there that are successful. It, it really does uh, become very disastrous quickly. So when we talk about, you know, starting to, to design that succession plan, whether it's the first conversation or the third, um, a lot of times, you know, the, the current generation, um, you know, they start looking for advisors, but they may not be the most critical people to lead the succession planning process based on what we talked about, you know, they may not be who you think and expand on that a little bit, that, that, that idea. Allison? So, yeah, so I will often have introductory conversations with a patriarch. He's like, well, we've got to come up with a succession plan. I'm like, well, you really don't. The people who are going to be here need to have ownership in this plan because a succession plan if you've got one person or a couple people dictating what successive generations are gonna do and how they're gonna do it, that's how you end up with the scenario Rob just described. That makes no sense. If you want the business, if the, if the goal is to have the business succeed or at least have people there who are qualified, then you need to have those folks at the table, family, non-family, who are the players? Just like you were saying, Michael, at the beginning, you earned out your dad, you bought out your dad. Every succession plan needs to have an earn out. And while it might not be a financial transaction back to the patriarch, in fact, you usually don't want that, you can still earn it. And we're constantly talking with our families about who should be doing this, not who do you want because they favor you or not? Who is the special grandkid at the table? Mm -mm. Let's put our business hats on and let's talk about how's this going to work. And if you don't know the answer, let's find someone who does and let's get them to the table on this. Because otherwise, um, I feel like really good intentions end up with a lot of unintended consequences and the patriarch's not here to sort it out. Agreed. That's great. Thank you, Rob. I totally agree with that. And um, I think that there are unintended consequences when you don't have the, the right advisor doing your succession planning. In fact, it's really hard to have just one advisor to do this. Um, I believe that there's three, at least three conversations going on at once when the patriarch or the second gen or third gen comes to one of us and says, I need a succession plan. 
they're thinking about succession of wealth. They're thinking about succession of leadership. They're thinking about succession of business. So if, if, if you go, if the, the individual, the family member goes to their trusted advisor, the attorney, well, they're going to be coming at it from one perspective, their, their area of knowledge and expertise. Or if they only go see their, their estate planner, their wealth manager, it's only going to be from one perspective or their CPA. So I, I really believe it's important that families interview and select an advisory team. And um, Allison and I have been on these advisory teams before, and it, it just depends. You know, that's kind of my role as a generalist is I quarterback it, but we bring experts in, expert advisors, to get the, the best wealth plan, the best business succession plan, and the best leadership succession plan. Yeah. And, and what you're saying fits the, you know, kind of the philosophy that we have is that designing a succession plan is a, a, a two-step process, right? It's, you got to do the people part first. And that's Rob, that's where, where you spend a lot, a lot of time. And yeah, Allison, yeah. you do as you do as well, but it's also then it's the, then you got to get to the technical part. Where are the, where are the taxes? Where are the, where are the documents? You know, where, where are the, you know, the investments going if, if, if a, a sale is part of this, whether it's between generations or not. So it's it really, you know, the people have to come first because we got to be thinking about, you know, the, the generation that may be stepping away. What's, how's it the impact on employees? What's the impact on leadership? What's the impact on, you know, the siblings that aren't part of the business? You know, when you start to put all of those pieces together, if we don't address each of those people pieces, the technical stuff doesn't matter, does it? That's right. Really and it's also the third piece, Michael, would be the the business, the operations, because what, what thwarts succession planning is this, the, the, the uh, patriarch success model that got them there, Allison said this at the very beginning, is not going to get them there in the future. So right. that has to be addressed. And, and the patriarch has to understand that there's a time to let go and let the next generation put their, their fingerprints on, on the business Michael, Allison, you both have experienced this and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that is that other third element of the conversation that a lot of times nobody wants to deal with because it's too confrontational before Thanksgiving dinner. Right. It is. And you know, I can't tell you how many times someone would come to me and say, oh, you're working for your father. Oh, those are some big shoes to fill. I wonder if you're going to be able to do it. And I'm like, first of all, he wears Alan Edmonds and I wear Stuart Weissman. So there's no shoe filling happening here. Second of all, I'm me. I'm going to do what I can do. So if you come at this expecting me to replicate Paul, you will be disappointed. And I don't see beneficiaries always having, or next gens, always having the strength to stand up and say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean replicate? What do you mean continue on? I have something fresh to bring to the table, new to bring to the table. But I will say it is very rare. Rob was an exception for me personally years ago. It was rare for anybody to come to me and want to know what I had to say. Mm -hmm. It was really about how are you going to continue what someone else has been doing? And I think that is unfair 
to all parties involved. It's not realistic. There's a lot of crossover. I've learned and benefited from my father's experience tremendously. And I honor that, but I don't let it inhibit me. And I can see people, I've interacted with folks who get inhibited. They get handicapped by that societal pressure of repeating what's happened or sustaining it. But really, don't we all know that in businesses you have to be ever evolving in order to thrive? So it's counterintuitive. And yet that's that's what we as a society do to to the families. And to maybe advocate for the, um, the, um, the first gen or the founding gen or the sitting leading gen, let me advocate there. It is very difficult to see your sibling different than your son or daughter. They've known you ever since you were born and they know what your experiences are. So they relate to you as that cute brownie that uh, went on a camping trip, right? It's hard for them to say, oh, wow, you can actually take over this enterprise and do, you're gonna do something better or different than I've ever done. And, and so there has to be that, um, that atmosphere of empathy and understanding. I get called today more from the second generation than I do from the sitting generation on, hey, I need a succession plan. I need you to build it. And then just let me have something I can shove in front of my father's face or my two <laughs> uncles, <laughs> right? It just doesn't work. And, and so we have to have empathy for all generations, everybody involved. That's why the team's important. That's why your advisory group is important. And it, it's hard work. Allison said it. It's very, very hard work. And it's very dynamic because as you start peeling it back, it's more than likely we're going to find out, well, I just never thought my, I would ever have a daughter running my business. I thought it was always going to be one of my sons. Well, there you go. Then who's the best qualified? What happens to be two out of two of my daughters are the best qualified. Right. So then you break down all these dreams and you have to work it through. It's not, it's not wrong or bad. Yeah. It's just a matter of helping, helping all generations work through the scenarios. And, and then once that gets scenario gets declared in that family first or business first declaration, from there to your point, Michael, now you can work on the technical side. You can work on the business side. Yeah, and that dance between the technical and the people is ongoing. I remember when there was a, a pro- part of this process that my father and I were working on, and I could tell something wasn't comfortable for him, but I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I went and talked to him. I said, what's, you know, what is it? And he said, I didn't realize how hard this would be for me. It's all right. It's all good. There's some, but I talk about identity, right? This, that was a piece really didn't have anything to do with me but it was, it was presenting itself during the process. And so while I experienced that in our own transition, I see it often. And I talk to the next gens and say, you know what? You might be frustrated that things aren't going quickly enough or things aren't happening the way you think they should. But the more patience and empathy you have for your parent, the better this will go on the 
familial side of things. You can all still enjoy getting together. And I, I went slower than some people were encouraging me to do in our transition because I wanted to respect the timetable that was my father's. That was more important to me than anything else. And I see that the families who stay attuned and kind of keep radar on that and go in anticipating that it will be difficult, have better outcomes as a family and less moms brokenhearted and torn between fathers and sons or kids. And I mean, it just, it can eat people up and it doesn't have to, um, if you, it's easier if you go in with the expectation that one, it's hard and it takes a lot of time. Yeah. It, you know what? It goes back to what we were talking about before, where it's that team. You need to make sure that somebody on the team is taking care of the people and somebody's thinking about the technical. And if you, and if that people person, very often it's the, the people person that can filter in some of the technical stuff rarely, but once in a while, I mean, like I found some attorneys that do the people part really well through the years. And, it, and it, that's more rare where you find somebody that's yeah. <laughs> or, an, or an accountant. And it's not, it's just the way that the, the industry is, but when you find it, it's nice. The other thing that popped out to me is we talk about how the current generation, the leading generation is thinking and you know, Rob, as we started, we talked about the infinite game. And as, you know, if we can get that infinite mindset about the business, we also have to think about it in terms of how we interact with the business. And I, you know, when, in my first book, I talked about um, the parent transition. And that's the, you know, somewhere between zero, you know, between zero and 12 or 15, or some kids at 25, you must parent them. You, you need to tell them no. You need to tell them, you know, what the boundaries are and, and set those pieces up somewhere between, you know, a certain age. And it's different for every kid. You need to transition to that coaching ability and let them go and make mistakes and let them do it on their own way and feel those things. And the parents that don't ever make that first transition will very rarely make that next transition, which is I need to start thinking of you as my colleague we're, you know, you're, you're an adult. And, and so even though there may be a generation gap and you, we respect and all of those things have to be accounted for, if you're going to be the one writing the check to me for this business, I better be thinking about, you know, or however that transition is going, you're going to be running the business. I need to be thinking about you as colleagues. And my father this year, it was the first time, and I love my dad and we have great conversations about this. I'm always excited to talk to him about what's going on in the business but we had my parents on one of the episodes with Courtney Pullen. Uh, you may both know them, but so Courtney is one of the one of the best, you know, family business coaches out, you know, in in the country. And Courtney did a live. We called it Family Business Unscripted, and we were talking about mom and dad's estate plan live in the recording. And you know, one of the things that you know that happened, you know, and whether it was from that recording or something, um, it might've been a conversation we had a couple of weeks later. My dad said, I'd have never done it the way that you're doing it. And he goes, and he goes, you're just so persistent 
in your thinking, in your imagination to bring this together. He goes, you didn't even have a podcast, you know, a couple of months ago. And now you have this podcast that's listened all around the world. It's just bizarre to me. And I couldn't even imagine it. And then that goes right back to what we're talking about is that it's hard for them to see the business done differently. They did it for 40 years or 30 years or whatever the case may be. And just acknowledging that. And Allison, for you to go and talk to your dad, kudos. <laughs> that's, that's big. Um, idea, let, any other examples of, you know, transitions done well, transitions not done well. What are some of those other pieces or other stories that, you know, you might, might be willing to share that come to your mind where you're like, you know what, this one's, this one's worth, you know, this one's worth, worth sharing. And well, we haven't talked about um, selling the business as part of the succession plan. And um, sometimes that is the only uh, way. And sometimes the situation is, you know, it's almost compelled to happen uh, where it's, really challenging i think is when it is an option but it's like when we list off the options it's the last one i'm never going to do this i'm never going to sell this business and uh, allison and i had a uh, a joint client down in florida that uh the two brother-in-laws that was kind of their viewpoint they they got their business and they were never ever ever gonna sell it and they had this whole plan. We set up a wonderful board of directors that was providing corporate governance to enable next generations, the next two to three generations, be able to be shareholders but not operators. Great. we really happy. But my caveat was is that you need to be prepared. Someday, some drunken sailor is going to come wandering by with a pocket full of money and going to offer you that money for your business. Never happened, never will. Well, it happened and they did sell the business, but it was a very difficult decision, extremely difficult for them to get to. But now when I, many years later, I talked to them, they say it was the best decision they ever got to. So I think pitfalls is, is uh, what's the old adage? Never say never, always be open, right? Just because it's dynamic, succession planning, Exit strategies are dynamic and they're, they're related to various trigger events. And what we advisors can do is just help these families and these business leaders think about trigger events, think about um, milestones or issues and come up with various scenarios. So when they do enter into a scenario, they can pull that out of their top desk drawer and go, okay, now we have a, the beginning of a plan. Mm -hmm. And I would add to that the, the difference that I've seen consistently between families who are thriving, not perfect, but thriving in multiple generations and those who are not is the amount of transparency that exists. If you are providing information in a digestible way, not just throwing a bunch of numbers at folks, but if you're communicating what's happening and what is reasonable to expect, then you minimize or even eliminate 
the, the chatter, the assumptions, the fussiness, because that comes when they have nothing else to go from. But if you've given them good information, there's nothing to squabble over. You can not like it. You can say someone's not doing a good job, but it's based off of fact, not assumptions or opinion that doesn't have anything to substantiate it. And if it's based off of fact, you can act in a certain way. If it's not, then you're just, then you're just whining. Yeah. And family businesses thrive when decisions are made off of data. And when that data is available for people to make the decisions, now the emotion isn't driving it, a business data-driven decisions being made. And um, that, that has been, in my opinion, probably the biggest difference between the families who have successfully navigated across multiple generations and those who haven't. Yeah, transparency and communication, I think, would be those two pieces. That transparency piece, you know, what happens for people, and just the, think of the psychology behind this, is that I, we are wired for story. Our brains just think story. And if, if there's no end to that story, or if there's a missing link in that story, we're going to fill in the gap. And yeah. that can be dangerous. <laughs> and that can be yeah. really dangerous to fill in that gap. Um, yeah. Just to, just to add to that, I agree. The third one is long-term thinking. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you, the, the family businesses that I'm involved with that are wildly successful, thriving, are those that think in segments of you know, decades. They, many business clients of mine, hey, they can't even think three years out, much less even, maybe even a year out. But those that are thriving, they plan in increments of decades. And those are the ones who are doing exceedingly well. You know, one of the things that I did in the last four years was to get certified as a growth strategy coach because what I kept seeing over and over again in this succession piece from my perspective, even though I was dealing with the people part, I wasn't dealing with the business part, Rod, to your point earlier. And so what that allowed, allowed us to do is who's going to be running this? How is it going to be run? What is the strategy going forward? And when you can mesh those pieces together in the succession plan, I do really, you know, that just kind of popped for me as we were talking yeah. right there, that, that that extra piece has, has really been helpful. Um, we have a, you know, the last note on here, I think we might've covered it at some levels, but maybe we just get a little specific, a new idea for creating an enduring succession plan that most family businesses should utilize. Did we cover that already? Or do you, is there something you want to add there? Maybe we weren't specific. I think what we were talking about is how the, the children or the next gen should be designing that. Maybe we did that together. Maybe I missed, put that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think thinking in the stock in the uh, stock market and in manager analysis, when they're looking for companies to invest in, a lot of money managers do what they call a bottoms up approach, and some do a top down approach. And I have found that that translates well into family succession planning mm. to to consider a bottoms up approach. And if you, if you don't, if the patriarch or matriarch says, I can't do that, well, then 
you might not be ready <laughs> to have this go to the next generation. Um, you might need to be more focused on a third party sale. You know, it's, if you can't bring them to the table, there's some, there's the focus needs to shift. And um, like Rob said, sometimes it's the best for everybody to sell the business and go from there. And I had one family member come to me and said, well, this it's all on our shoulders. And if we fail, you know, everybody says we're going to fail and, and then we're going to fail. And this, this, this isn't going to work. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How is selling the business failure? Running it into the ground, that's failure. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a really interesting point. Go back to that. The, the, the data that we're given and is shared is that what is it? Uh, Thirty percent make it to the to the second generation, yeah. and only twelve percent make it to the third. I think that's the number. Three percent make it to the fourth, um, and everybody talks about it in terms of failure, and it's just that they fail to exist. I don't think selling a business that Grandpa started with nothing and selling it for fifty million dollars could be considered failure. Right. Yeah, and yes. Right. I had people telling me all the time, well, looks like you got 30% chance at succeeding at this. I mean, that's a horrific thing to tell somebody. Right. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's... actually, I think I've done some things to kind of shorten that gap, but you know, I guess we'll, time will tell. <laughs> I think in, in, there are some flaws with those studies that are so broadly shared, but not quantified. And I often, have asked people when they say their fear of failure, it's like, well, what is failure to you? Not what you think everybody else is gonna deem to be failure, but what do you think is failure? And uh, there, there again, on the people's side, just call, identify what it is you want and then work with your advisors to get there and try and try and block out the noise of these statistics or of the um, society's opinions and do what works for you. You're the one living with it and pull in the resources you need and manage to help you manage expectations and have that third party eye on this with a perspective that's not emotionally driven. People have said to me too, like, how do you do this? Like, well, I don't have to go to Thanksgiving dinner with them. That's like, it's a lot easier when right. there's not an emotionally charged triggers that you're also trying to navigate. And that's what our families are navigating and it's exhausting. We can come in and, and not have to to deal with that. Instead could see it for the numbers, see it for the individuals. And so it's, it's just so worth it. It helps make it less painful and helps you open up to things you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah, I'd like to add that the numbers and the facts are primarily looking back, right? But succession planning is looking forward. And so to Allison's point, we, we've got to engage the family stakeholders as early in the process as possible. The patriarchs have a responsibility to also clear myths that the second or third generation may have. So the second or third generation might believe that selling the business, you know, would be terrible. Grandfather's going to come back and haunt me if I ever were to do that. Well, our job as leaders is to work with the multiple generations in the business on creating that future. 
and uh, and getting rid of those myths. And that begins to now, it's not fact necessarily, but it becomes a reality about the future. And that you need to put that into your succession planning, not only data, which is, is sound and important, but also we should try to shoot down as many family lore and myths that we all dream up. And so I agree with Allison, when we do succession planning, we, we start bottom up interviewing all the family stakeholders, but we also go top down, right? We find out where we're misaligned and then that's where we go to work. And most of the time when we're misaligned greatly, we're, that we're not ready. And so that they'll just be throwing, the family will throw money away, trying to get advisory help when it's just not worth it. And I know for a fact, Allison has, has said no to many clients as I have too, that well, you're just not ready yet. Um, here's some steps you can take to try to get ready. But it's so important to be thinking forward and succession planning is, is out in the future. It's, it's not in reality, but yet we, do our succession planning from a point of historical facts or a point of current reality. And that's, that makes it challenging if you can't break through that. Agreed. Well, we're uh, six minutes away from uh, the top of the hour. Um, if anyone had any questions, please feel free to throw a hand up for Rob Allison or myself, happy to, to do that. I'm gonna just pause for three seconds so that the, we can, my, the person that does the editing can. And without seeing any hands coming up, then um, what I'd like to do is just talk about for a couple of minutes, there's you know some creative ways and methods of doing success, succession planning. You know, I, I think we counted one time that there's probably 21 different ways to pass a business. Um, and you're not, you know, you're not gonna use all of them. And this is why, you know, succession planning needs someone like Rob and Allison and myself to like, to bring these, these pieces together. But, you know, in your time of doing things, what were some of the creative ways that you saw somebody utilize just the passing, the, the, the asset itself, what were some of the ways that you, that you would say were pretty creative? Well, we always like to look for opportunities to reduce estate tax <laughs> and um, be creative in that regard. So there's a technical creativity that, um, oh, I can get really nerdy on. It's it's really neat to try and I love puzzles and I love how can we slice and dice this a little differently to work for what you have going on. And um, one family, this is something I'm hearing more and more of. One family was struggling with the idea of their two children breaking the estate evenly between the two because the third generation was so disproportionate he had one on this side and five on this side. And they're like, we don't want one grandchild to win the lottery and the other five to wonder why they weren't treated the same. So we approached it and started with the third generation. And in this family, that was an option. It's not for everybody, but I loved the care and concern of the grandmother. And I loved working with them 
to find something that felt really good and was was really respectful of how she wanted them to think of her. And so that was something that was unique, but I've since had like three other people ask something along those lines. So maybe it's the new trend um, as we have so many different families and um, numbers are, are so different, but I loved that she spoke up and shared what she wanted to be remembered for and how she wanted her children to feel when they thought of them. And, and that drove a lot of the planning. Back to the people side of things. Indeed. All right, Rob, any, uh, anything come to mind? Yeah, just very quickly, um, a client of mine, they're a little over 70 years in business. Um, the second generation are um, uh, two, two um, cousins and um, they realized that very early on in their career that they needed a, a more robust uh, succession plan. So when their children were probably around high school age, they developed a criteria, a checklist, so to speak, of what, what the next generation, if you want to come in to the business, what, what qualifies you to come into the business? That's kind of a best practice. But they went a step further and said, now, if you want to become a candidate into one of our executive leadership roles, what's the criteria? Then they took it a step further and said, now, if you want to replace one of us, if you want to be considered in the ultimate succession, understand you're going to be competing with your cousins and with external candidates. They said that from the very beginning and they repeated it. They dripped on it and dripped on it and dripped on it. And they had that criteria. And we are now, I don't know, probably they're 15 years into it. And it has just, for, you know, it has just been marvelous. And this is a big company, um, thousands of employees, and they've just done a great job. And, and, they, and the second generation patriarchs, they actually declared the date that they're going to retire. So they made it mandatory on themselves a decade forward of when their re re compulsory retirement date would be. Wasn't easier for them. In fact, I had one of the uh, found the, the second generation come speak about the difficulty of transitioning. But that to me was very unique. That's very uh, long thinking. And, and I, I just believe if everybody could do that, start thinking in increments of decades, start talking to family members as early as possible and always never say never and be open to um, all possibilities. Great. If people wanted to reach out and contact either one of you, are you both on LinkedIn, easily accessible? Yes. That would be- Certainly. If you want to tell us your websites real quick. Mary Jo. Mine is or empoweringbeneficiaries.com, either way. Got it. And Rob- Fergusoninterest.com. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us today. This has been a really fun show. Um, I, I, I hope that everybody got a lot out of this. That we covered a lot of materials. I'm also certain the three of us could sit and talk for another three hours <laughs> and, and trade stories and whatnot. So I really enjoyed our time together today. 
Um, again, this is the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus from Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And if Allison, Rob, or myself can help you and your family business in any way, do not hesitate to reach out to us. Um, we love doing what we do and working with family-owned businesses. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.